Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manfred, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night. I think you guys got to call me Vegas Lock this week. I got my guy, Clint, over here from Die Hard MMA Podcast. Clint, what's going on, brother? Not a whole lot, man. Ready to talk some fights. We got Bellator going over here. I made a degenerate bet on the Washington football team. There's baseball all over the place. I'm ready. <laughs> Hell yeah. It feels like you should be here in Vegas placing some bets over here I and uh, taking full advantage of it. No, I've been having a great time so far. A little bit of a slip up on the start time for the podcast. We obviously was trying to set up over there at Circus Sportsbook, but their Wi-Fi is garbage. Uh, so I came over here to the D Sports, who actually uses Circa as well. Shout out to Circa. Uh, it was Nick Kalikas that actually hooked me up with the spot over here. I'm trying to get him on the show as well, but I understand that he needs to family time as well. So I completely understand that. But uh, yeah, happy to do it at a sportsbook nonetheless. Got the you guys can't see it, but there's all the the odds and shit back there. You got some music fights and NFL and all that stuff. So I thought it would be a cool little touch to do this since I'm out in Vegas rather than just from my dingy hotel room. Uh, what's a beautiful view from New York, New York? <clears throat> Not. Uh, but yeah, we're here to talk to UFC Vegas 34. We had one wait list this morning, I believe, with Saeed. For, I'm not even going to try his name, but I'll try when we get back to it. Uh, but other than that, it seems like a clean slate. Not to mention Gaston did weigh over 0.25 pounds, did come back and make the weight, so at least he's on weight. But still no excuse for a guy who's coming up from 170 a long time ago. But still, the reason he made this change is so that he doesn't have to miss weight anymore. All right, let's start off right at the bottom of the card. Let's get things going here. We got uh, Ramiz Brahimai going up against Sasha Palatnikov. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 135 for Ramiz and plus 120-ish for Sasha Palatnikov. Now, uh, Clint, I know you actually have a big bet on this one. I want to actually pass it off on to you first to break this fight down. And also, if you saw anything at the wins that made you change your mind, make you feel stronger, less confident, whatever it is, how do you feel about the fight? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm big on Brahimaj here in this spot. I like him here. I like the grappling advantage. I think he's going to go back to it. He, he really struggled his last fight out with the grappling, and I think that he's going to go back to his roots here in this spot. We've seen Platnikov struggle with the takedowns. I think it's a prime spot for him to bounce back, basically. Um, at the weigh-ins, though, I do have to admit, Sasha was a whole lot bigger than I expected. Now, that's kind of a double-edged sword because... On one hand, Brahmaj is going to get under those hips a little bit easier because he's going to be the shorter man. On the other side of things, Sasha could have a size and strength advantage that concerns me. If Brahmaj struggles with the takedowns early, it may affect that gas tank. So I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous about the size, but I still am in the, the Brahmaj corner. I'm not bailing ship. Uh, I still like that side. And actually, uh, per uh, best fight odds, it looks like money is coming in on Brahimaj. I'm seeing a minus 140, minus 145 at this point. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that, I, from what I saw, I just saw a quick glimpse of it. I do think that Platikov, obviously, being the bigger guy here, that is a bit of concern considering the type of game time we're going to be seeing from Ramiz trying to take him down. But hopefully, you know, he didn't show it after, at all in the Max Griffin fight. Hopefully, he's able to go out there and actually show it to us this time because that's why he came into the UFC, right? Quick submission finishes, getting fights to the ground, getting these guys next wrapped up and trying to take them on home with them. So hopefully we see that again here. But the spot that I like the most, and again, throughout the stream, I'm going to share my circle sports bet clips with you guys. I put 50 bucks on every single fight without the exception of, uh, sorry, the Kevin uh, Jones fight. For some reason, they didn't have that poster on there. But the spot that I went with was, I went with the under two and a half in this uh, Brahimaj and Platnikov fight. 50 bucks at minus 130, returns 38 bucks there. Uh, again, 50 bucks just for fun. 
But uh, yeah, I think that no matter who wins this, it'll probably come live finish. And I'm not just saying that because I think that Ramiz will be able to finish and Platnikov late based off of the Kosi fight for Platnikov. But I think Platnikov does have some killer instinct with him and he can definitely take advantage of somebody if he sees the gas tank starting to, to fail them. And I think that we will potentially see that this weekend with Absolutely. Ramiz Bahimaj. But the striking is good enough. I definitely think that uh, Platnikov has a striking advantage. Uh, but I do think that Ramiz will ground this fight and eventually, uh, you know, get that submission some sort of way. Uh, but hopefully it's under two and a half so I can actually stick it over here and get some sweet cash in my, in my pocket here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got, uh, Roosevelt Roberts going up against Ignacio Bahamondes. Uh, we got minus 145 on Roberts, plus 125 on Bahamondes. Um, uh, I do see the chat. I will mute my audio when Clint is speaking just so we get a little bit clearer from him. Again, it's all the atmosphere that I'm trying to soak in right now. <laughs> in terms of this fight specifically, I really like Roosevelt Roberts here. I think that this is a battle spot, just as I said on your show earlier this week, when, where I think that he does have solid striking. I think his boxing is good. I think that the fact that Ignacio Bohamundes loves blocking punches with his face is going to work perfectly here for uh, Roberts as he's going to be landing. I don't want to say at will, but at a pretty high rate here, I think he will. But I think the difference maker is going to be the grappling. I think we'll see Roosevelt Roberts pull out that wrestling of his, drag this fight to the ground. By all accounts, it doesn't seem like Ignacio Bahamunas has the greatest takedown defense. So that definitely does worry me if you're going to be back in Bahamunas side of things. And uh, yeah, I think Roberts will take this down, either find a submission or he's going to rinse and repeat and win a decision in the spot. Uh, Bahamunas, the only way I think he wins is just volume output striking. I'm not of this belief that Roosevelt Roberts all of a sudden has chin issues just because he got knocked out or clubbed and subbed in his last fight. We haven't seen any chin issues besides that. And I truly believe it's because Roosevelt Roberts overlooked Kevin Froome, who's coming in on short notice. And not to mention he was a minus 600 favorite when he actually did that fight. So I do like Roberts here. I think this is a battle spot. I think he should be between minus 200 and minus 250 in this spot. And I pulled the trigger on him as my fight day bet. So we'll call him degenerate bet slips. I went with Roosevelt Roberts, minus 140 straight here, 50 bucks to win 35.70. So uh, hopefully that ends up catching. How do you like this matchup, Clint? You know, man, the more I look at it, the, the more I'm with you on Roosevelt Roberts. Uh, this is a spot where, I don't know if you want to mute your, mute your mic on your side. There you go. <laughs> um, I, I'm more and more and more with you on Roosevelt Roberts here. The one thing that really is swaying me here is that the face-offs, he was way bigger than I expected. I thought Ignacio Bahamundes was still going to have a height and reach advantage. That was something I kind of planned and prepped for. And I didn't think, uh, I didn't think Roosevelt Roberts was going to have a size or strength advantage. Turns out he is larger than Bahamundes. And that plays a big factor for me because if he's going to pin the guy up against the cage, if he's going to look to grapple, take him down, that kind of thing, just being the larger man absolutely helps with that effort. And it, uh, on top of that, he's got that guillotine. He always tries to jump on people's necks and shit. If he's the much shorter guy, he's going to have a hard time getting up there on Ignacio. He's not the shorter guy. He's the taller guy. When they're up against the cage, he can bend him down. He can bully him around. So yeah, I, I'm starting to feel with you on that Roosevelt Roberts spot. I think the grappling advantage is real, much more than I expected you know pre-tape and I think that I still like Roosevelt Roberts by submission that's the spot you and I talked about on Monday and I'm liking that more and more I'm not sure if I'm just going to go Roosevelt Roberts straight or if I'm going to do my half unit flyer on the submission prop maybe I'll do both at this point I'm probably going to add Roosevelt Roberts to my card yeah I think that he's going to be a good spot this weekend and hopefully he doesn't sit the bat again I think it's uh, the possible volume that uh, is going to put up there I know statistics wise we only have two fights with the statistics on him uh, but he throws seven uh, strikes per minute and absorbs six strikes per minute as well, which is a little bit of a constraint. So hopefully we'll get some more statistical work from him uh, this weekend uh, or at, at least tomorrow night. I'm thinking it's going to go the full 50 minutes and hopefully that we see Robert for uh, the decision victory here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. we got William Knight going up against Fabio Charant. The line has been 
steadily moving down. It's minus 165 now for William Knight, plus 155, plus 145 for Fabio Charant. If you guys remember, William Knight actually opened up as a minus 275 favorite. The public has been coming in on Fabio Charant. Clint, I'll actually let you kick this one off. Brother. How do you feel about this matchup, and how do you feel about that line movement? Man, the, the line movement absolutely baffles me. I mean, like, I, I understand some of the sharp guys being like, oh, Ignacio Bahamundes, he's going to be bigger. He should probably not be a plus 275 underdog. Totally get that. Okay, take a flyer on the guy that might be able to bully the guy that relies on takedowns. Okay, I, I, I get it. That's fine. But now that we're getting down closer to the point where we're talking, you're only getting plus 140, plus 150 on, on this guy, Sharant. He's shown nothing. He's got a garbage fight style he has no fight iq he gasses out he gives up he's got that quit in him like i, I don't understand why the money continues to come on fabio charant at this stage i feel like if you were looking for that dog chaser you missed the boat man like all the value is gone from this line and at this point i'm ready to stand in front of the market and take my guy william knight i don't understand how he could get to be this low at this stage i do agree the line opened wide but if he's like a minus 150 favorite by fight time, hell yes, I'm betting William Knight. And I still hold to the fact that I think William Knight has a better uh, strategy, a better gas tank, and is physically stronger. I still think he's going to wear out Fabio and then TKO him in the second or the third round. I think it's probably a late knockout, not something that comes early. But unless Fabio comes out and does something completely different from what we've ever seen in the past, he's just going to give up ground, get taken down, and then eventually tire out. That's what this guy does. So I think it's night by decision, night by third round TKO. I will be looking for a third round sprinkle in this spot on my guy, William Knight, because I absolutely have no faith in Fabio Charant's go 15 minutes. I love the way that you broke down this fight because I took the over one and a half as my degenerate fight day play uh, at minus 145, 50 bucks to win 34 bucks there. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a slow-paced fight. We know William Knight goes out there, drags the fight to the ground or clinch boxes his opponent. I think he'll be successful in doing that here against Fabio Trant as well. I think there's just a bad public perception of Fabio Trant considering that took the fight on short notice against Alonzo Manifield, missed weight, and then goes on to get bombed by a guy who was plus 2,000 to win by submission in that spot. Yeah, it makes a little bit of sense. So hopefully we see a better Fabio Trant this time around. And I do think that we will. Um, again, I've kind of just tossed it up all week. Like I've been thinking Trant because the odds, but like you said, now that the odds are a little bit closer to what they should be in my opinion, like it, it still messes up with me. I'm going to stick with the Sharon side of things, but if I'm playing this fight at all, which I am, which I'm forcing myself to, I'm taking the open one and a half. I don't think it's going to be a barn burner. Lanes, man. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to be a barn burner, which a lot of people expect just by seeing these guys square off with each other. You do the tape, you do the research, you see that, you know, it's not often that these guys have their fights finished earlier. It's more often that they go a little bit later. So that's why it's minus 145 for the over one and a half. And hopefully I don't get burned for taking the top on that spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, Bea Malecki going up against Josie Edmund, and I'll kick this one off as well with my best clip. I got 50 bucks from Bea Malecki at minus 150, 233 bucks. I think that she's going to go out there. You know, I've seen a lot of people saying that she uses her range very well or will use her range very well. It is a little bit questionable considering how much she's getting touched up by, uh, by uh, uh, Veronica Macedo. But the difference between Macedo and Nunes is the fact that Macedo is a little bit more bouncy, a little bit more explosive, and kind of just uses her footwork a little bit better than what we've been seeing from Josie and Nunes. Nunes kind of likes to just walk forward, uh, you know, heavy, heavy footed, um, just throwing big bottom trying not to head into the third round. I'm also not, it seems like she's losing her fight until the point, points that her opponent gasses, and then they take over, or, and then Nunes takes over and then finishes them. 
I don't think she's going to have that benefit here. I think that Malachi can go 15 minutes if it goes 15 minutes. But man, I saw the, the picture for the stare down for this one, and it was absolutely hilarious. You have a seven inch height advantage for Bam Malachi and a seven inch reach advantage as well for Bam Malachi. Exactly. <laughs> it looked like if me and Luca Fury were to take a picture together. I know that guy's like 6'9, and I'm standing at 5'5. Five five. But I think that uh, we'll see uh, Malachi actually utilize that range decently here. And I think the most dangerous part for Nunes is actually going to be if they tie up and get into the plump position or the Muay Thai plump position for Malachi because she has nasty lead and considering the amount of leverage and uh, force she's going to be able to muster up, having that kind of uh, height advantage here, I think that's really going to affect Nunes. So as long as Nunes doesn't go up there and knock her ass out early or anything like that, I think Malachi puts it on her and probably finishes her probably in the first or second round. So another spot I don't mind is the under two and a half because I think both women have finishing capabilities if it comes down to it. But I do like... Um, I do like Bam Malachi here. I, again, I think the line was closer to even earlier in the week, and now she's blown up to minus 150. Makes sense when she actually run the tape. Again, both girls somewhat inexperienced, at least with level of competition on the new United side of things, and only four professional MMA fights for um, Bam Malachi. But I think that we've seen her go up against much more quality competition and showcasing solid skills. I think uh, Bam Malachi's aside here, taking her to win by KO for the second round. Clint, how do you see this one? Man, I'm uh, I'm kind of on the opposite side of you on this one. I, I really have this. I'm going to just real quick. Let me. There we go. So Amanda, dude, this new Josie and Nunez chick, like she closes the pocket and she swings hard, man. And that's the one thing that we saw Bale Malecki really struggle with against Veronica Macedo. She's tall. She's long. She's slow. And Bale Malecki crashes the pocket and has fast hands. She's going to have a huge speed advantage here. And I'll be honest, if if she doesn't get caught with one of those clinched knees you're talking about and caught early, I think she'll have some success in that range. We saw Bama Lecky get stunned by Veronica Casado several times, but Veronica couldn't follow up on it. All Bama, all Josian Nunez does is crash that pocket and follow up with bombs in the clinch. So I think this is an extremely low-level fight. I think everyone has way too much faith in Bam Malecki. I'm probably not betting this one, but if I was going to do anything, I'd sprinkle Josian Nunez by knockout, man. It's like plus 450, and I just think that she's got the exact style that it's going to take to hurt somebody like Bam Malecki. And she just has no defense. And speed kills in MMA. We know that. I think the under two and a half is not a bad look because there is finishing on both these women's sides. Nunez has no ground game whatsoever. So if Bea ends up in a top position, she's dead. It's just over. So, again, extremely low level. No confidence. But tinfoil hat, I'm saying Nunez by knockout. I love uh, tinfoil hat, Clint. I'm glad that you like introduced that image to the space and I've been using it more often than not. But yeah, uh, again, you think Nunez gets the, gets the finish here? I mean, I think she's live for it. I, yeah. I'm not going to say she actually pulls it off, but you know my, my degenerate parlays that I do? I'll have Nunez by knockout in one of them. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll keep that in mind for sure while I'm at the fights. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got, um, excuse me, Brian Kelleher, Brian Boom Kelleher, friend of the Die Hard MMA podcast, uh, going up against... Uh, Domingo Puarte, excuse me, I got the beer burps for a second. Um, we got minus 165. Yeah, we got minus 165 on Brian Keller, plus 140-ish on Domingo Puarte. I'll let you pick this one off, brother. How do you see this one going down? Man, I, they both look solid at the at the weigh-ins, so no real fear on either side of the story when it comes to what these guys look like on the scales. Uh, we know Brian Keller; he's been you know up at 145 for a bit, so it was a bit tough for him to get back down to 135. That's to be expected. But Domingo Pilarte looked fantastic on the scales this morning, and man, I, I got to tell you, I 
I'm not allowed to bet against Brian Kelleher because, again, friend of the show, love the guy. I am absolutely invested from my heart. But I've got this weird feeling that everyone's just counting out Domingo Plarte a little bit too much. His inside the distance number is like four to one. And I'm like, man, before he got killed in his last fight, he was well on his way to TKOing his opponent. He had him hurt. He was chipping him apart from range. He was hitting the low calf kick. I'm fearful for Brian Kelleher in this spot. The longer the week has gone on, the more I realized I just feel like this line is too wide. Everybody is on Brian Kelleher lock. And let me tell you, when was the last time everyone was on Brian Kelleher? Nobody likes Brian Kelleher. Everybody likes to come out here and be like, oh, he's not that great. He's always losing. He's not UFC caliber. And now all of a sudden, everybody's betting him. Why did all of a sudden everybody flip? I mean... Again, I just have a bad feeling. My heart is pulling for Brian Kelleher. I want him to win. I still think the wrestling path is definitely something that he's got. He's going to have to crash the pocket, close that distance, and get in on Pilarte to have success. And I do think he can do that. But I'm I'm definitely thinking this line is way too wide. And anybody with the balls to take a shot on Domingo Pilarte, I can't say I blame him at this point. Yeah, actually, I'm surprised that the line is down to where it's at because when I – that it here we go i got brian kelleher minus 150 over here on circuit sports and when i officially bet it he is my locker than i play i actually took him at minus 180 because i still thought that was a generous line considering what we have here now with domingo Clarte, i used to be big on him too and i am you are correct i was one of those guys that wasn't that big on brian kelleher either but the guy is a fucking dog 34 yes. M- uh, mma fights compared to the 10 i believe from Domingo Puerto, not to mention the level of competition he's been going up against. Even before coming to the UFC, he has two wins, two solid wins over Julio Arce, who is now one of the better guys down there at 135 pounds. Uh, but Brian Kelleher, I think that uh, his mix of, you know, all-around MMA, great striking, massive power in his hands, just as Hunter Arthur, uh, good jiu-jitsu as well, at O'Day Osborne, uh, and, and then even his ability to get back to his feet and just take him down. Pretty damn good, right? Ricky Simone has some good control time, but he still did struggle a bit to keep him uh, on the ground. Domingo Puerto, more often than not, his winning condition is getting the grappling going, getting these fighters to the ground and kind of grinding them out or finding a submission of some sort. But if it's not doing that, that means striking. And with the striking, it seems very rudimentary in terms of the fact that he has a high push, he has a left down the middle. That's really about it. You know what I mean? And then when he does start to open up a little bit more, he gets a little bit too wild. And you don't want to be getting too wild against a guy like Brian Keller or more true. than have you staring up at the light. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen here. I think that Domingo will struggle to get uh, Brian down. Or even if he does get him down, I think he's going to struggle to actually implement anything from on top. And in the striking realm, I see some takes where people think that he can go out there and just, you know, outpoint Brian Kelleher on the feet. How long can he hope to hold that up? Because I don't believe it. I don't believe he has a great gas tank either. I know he held on to Felipe Clarkson's back for, three, or for the last uh, five minutes of that fight. But again, that's a position where you can kind of rest and wait for your moments and not really have to worry about getting finished or anything like that. So he was in a comfortable spot. Now, if he's on the feet in the third round against Brian Keller and struggling to get the takedown, struggling to get that kind of position, he's going to get knocked the fuck out. I'm going to be honest. I think that Brian Keller will well find the chin. I think it's going to happen in round two. Uh, earlier in the week, Brian Keller inside the distance was sitting at, um, was sitting at uh, plus 125. Now I think it's around plus 110. Still think that there's some decent value there because I do think that in large part, I think that's his higher win condition is actually getting the finish here rather than actually winning a decision. But I can still see him win a decision. I like Kelleher. He is the locker that I play. I lock him in at minus 180. I got five units on that, a brand on that on my online bookie. And then I put 50 bucks on it for another 50 bucks on it for fun here uh, over in Vegas for the sports book. So, yeah, Brian Kelleher, lock of the night play. Let's move on to the next one. We got Luis Salgano going up against Austin Lingo. You want to talk about line movement? 
Louis Saldana, I'm actually, I thought he was an underdog. He is not an underdog, but the line is pretty much a pick-em now between him and Austin Lingo. I'll let you pick this one up, but how do you feel about this matchup? I'm still just absolutely floored by this one, man. I, I don't get it. And I have no problem standing in front of the market move, but it does make me a little bit nervous when I'm this confused about what's going on because everybody seems to like Lingo and the money is just pouring in on Lingo. And I think Luis Saldana is by far the better fighter. So I'm just, I'm hoping that I'm right with that recency bias angle and people are just wrong. <laughs> but I'm a little nervous that somebody's got some insider info or something. Uh, the one thing I do want to mention is that at the weigh-ins, uh, Luis Saldana, he looks excellent. He looks like he's in the best shape of his life. He is ready to rock. Lingo, on the other hand, looked a little bit soft to me. If I remember him in his last fight, he was shredded. He was absolutely ready to go. Every single vein was popping. When he hit people, they immediately could feel it and run away from that power. He looked a little soft. There's not as much definition going on there. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But if he didn't have, you know, a prime camp, if he maybe didn't, if he had some issues or something like that, if he changed his uh, strength and conditioning routine, like he, he just may not be quite as dangerous on the feet as he was in his previous fights. And that gives another edge to Luis Saldana, in my opinion. This is a fight where, honestly, I would kind of count on the durability of both guys. If you're going to bet this one, over doesn't seem like a bad idea. I do know that, you know, if Lingo's going to win this thing, it's probably by knockout. But I can see this being kind of a chess match and these guys playing with each other till it gets to the judges. So I'm on the Lingo side. I kind of like the over side. Uh, but again, not comfortable, a little bit nervous and not going to add more money on Luis Saldana at this point, unless maybe I win my first couple bets. Then if he's plus money <laughs> live on fight night, I'll toss some more on him. <laughs> yeah, over, over to an app sitting around minus 130 at this point in time. The side that I went with, and I was kind of surprised because I wasn't really keeping track of the line movement considering everything I've been doing over here in Vegas since I landed. Luis Saldana minus 115. I got that for 50 bucks for 43.50. I do like Luis Saldana here. I'm not going to look too much into the line movement in this fight. Another guy, just like Mark Matson, who we're going to be talking later, will go over to fight ready to really, you know, round out his game. He's about 14 or 15 fights into his MMA career already before he made the move. It probably was later than that now that I'm thinking about it. But regardless, still a good, good move for somebody at this point in his career. Second fight in the UFC. That first one was very questionable. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people had Jordan Griffin winning that fight. I was holding the Jordan Griffin ticket, and I thought uh, he won that fight. But again, obviously some bias there. Uh, but even if you look over, I haven't made decisions. A lot of people had Griffin in that spot. However, I think what people are getting mixed up here is that they saw Griffin successful with a grapple-heavy approach, and they saw Lingo go out there and have some grapple success against a guy like Jacob Coburn. Two different guys, two different skill sets. I don't think that we'll see Lingo as successful in the grappling realm here as Jordan Griffin was. Jordan Griffin is highly underrated, and I think we're going to see that this week, and especially if Lingo decides to go out there and strike or, or grapple. If and after a fight ready and... camp, good luck. He's been training with Mark Madsen and Henry Cejudo. You're not taking this yeah. kid down. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope that's what we see from him this weekend. With that said, I think that we're going to see a striking battle here. We're going to see Lingo marching him down, but we're going to see Saldana having tremendous success off of his back foot. Jab, kick, spinning back kick, whatever the hell it is. Keep busy. Keep the damage coming on Austin Lingo. And I feel like Austin Lingo is going to be swinging at air a lot this week. My only concern, I'm very slightly concerned, Lingo has some fight-changing power. And if he lands on that shin clearly of Saldana, he can put his ass down and either knock him out or possibly win the round. Um, I, I was doing the Prop New Love show last night with John, uh, MMA Fox on Twitter, and he likes Lingo and he thinks that he could actually win a decision here, you know, hitting that, hitting him numerous times and, you know, racking up rounds in minutes and stuff. And, you know, for me, I thought, like, if he does hit him, he's probably going to knock him out. Like, if he hits him successfully enough, 
to the point that you think he wins the decisions, he's probably going to knock him out. I thought the same, like, too. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of my line of thinking here. But I think that Saldana will stay safe. It is a little bit of a concern for me. Uh, but I think he'll stay safe. A lot of shots from the outside, a lot of shots from the distance. Keep moving, knock it, knock it out. And then uh, when a decision is spot. So I like Nathan Louis Saldana. And like I showed you guys right now, I got 50 bucks on him at minus 115. My degenerate fight day uh, action right there. No official bets on him, though. Um, all right, let's move on to the next fight here, and I'll take the reins. It is the main card. We got Alexander Santos going up against Brandon Royval in the flyweight fight. Um, do you want to take this time to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe. So my guy, Clinton Levels, I got his Twitter handle in the uh, description there. I'm sorry if you guys are watching the show. You guys already watched this shit anyway. It is what it is. Um, do quickly want to uh, shout out my guy, Jazzy Dog here. Thanks for the $5 donation. So what's up, boys? Checking in from the RCMP Depot. Wish me luck. Shout out to the Royal Canadian. There you go. Shout out to my guys over there. All right. First fight on the main card. Alexander Pantoja uh, and Brandon Royval. Easily the fight I am looking forward to most this weekend. Super fun. Should be high action, high activity, high output. Which leads me to believe that if Alexander Pantoja still has cardio issues like a lot of people claim to used to, this is the fight that I'm going to showcase. And especially if uh, Royval can make it out of that fight early. Um, I think early Pantoja can knock him out, submit him. That's absolutely on the table. I think the later this fight goes, it's going to be Brandon Royval. But I think, I'm not writing off Pantoja completely. I think he could win at least two rounds in this fight and win a decision in this spot. But I think the later that it goes, it's a Roy Bow fight. With that said, my dog of the night play, I'm going with. Where did it go? I am going with the under two and a half. Brandon Roy Bow, Alexander Pantoja, plus 125. I got 50 bucks on it here. I'm going to have a unit on it on my official best on my online bookie. But, uh, yeah, I think we're going to see chaos in this. But I've been seeing stuff around there, people saying, oh, you know, when these guys lose, it's more often than not by decision. These guys haven't fought each other. <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, you can't just go by what the statistics and all that say. Sometimes you got to look at the tape and feel like how these guys match up. I think Pantoja has great killer instinct, and he can definitely finish guys. John and Roy Bell, is pretty much all action all the time. It's not often that you see a guy who gets blocked, and his immediate instinct is to throw a spinning back elbow rather than shoot for a takedown, just as most people do. But, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the type of fighter that uh, Pantos is going up against. And it's very difficult to prepare for something like that. I do like where he's in this spot. I do think that he's eventually going to get a club and sub situation in the second or third round. Uh, third round props. Throwing this out for you guys because you know I love my third round props. We got Roy Val, third round, plus 1575. Worth a bit of a sprinkle because I do think he could get it done here. So I'm going with the under two and a half. I'm hoping it's early round three if I'm taking the under two and a half. He can take the fight, doesn't go to the decision for even money as well, but I think there's some decent value there. Alec Roy out here, Raw Dog, mixing it up, introducing chaos, driving in it, and then getting that cup and stuff in the second or third round. Bring some credence to Ali Shandri Pantoja because I feel like I'm not giving him enough, unless you like Roy Val as well. Dude, we talked about it on Monday. I'm right there with you with Brandon Royval. He's my guy. I love this kid. I think he's a sleeper for being a title contender. The problem is Alexander Pantoja absolutely is a title contender. This guy is well-rounded. He's got a championship skill set everywhere. So we cannot emphasize enough that Alexander Pantoja is not somebody that we're looking past. I have sworn, put my right hand on my degenerate stack of dollar bills and I've sworn that I will bet Brandon Roy Val at plus money until I can't trust his chin anymore. And that's what I'm doing. So I've got him at plus 140. He's my big underdog for the card as well. And I do think I'm also going to join you on that round three sprinkle. I think you can get it all the way as high as 19 to one right now. And like you mentioned, if the cardio issues 
of Pantoja rear their head. Royval will absolutely take advantage of that. Another thing I noticed, the line that I just think is crazy off. I know uh, Pantoja is super hard to finish, and everyone is kind of expecting the club and sub, kind of like you said, you know, yourself. You don't sub Pantoja. He's too good. I feel like he's the kind of guy that will roll to his side and get elbowed to death and have the referee step in and save him rather than give up a choke. So I think there's some value on Brandon Royval by knockout. And he's like 14 to 1 to win by knockout. So I think Royval inside the distance, Royval round three, Royval straight money line. Those are all spots that I'm very interested in. But again, we are absolutely disrespecting Alexander Pantoja. So if you're on Pantoja, I don't blame you. That's a fine spot to be on. The under two and a half, just pure violence, you know, looking for one of these guys to finish. I don't think that's bad either because Pantoja can absolutely finish. We've seen Roy Val hurt and Pantoja is the kind of guy that won't let him off the hook if he does get rocked. So yeah, I, I like the violence spot there, but personally I'm sticking with my guy Roy Val. I like it. I think all week I've kind of been starting this breakdown off with a disclaimer that yes, I know Ali Shadja Pantoja is a better fighter, but it's hard to cap chaos like Brandon Roy Val and Tony Ferguson brings to the table. Exactly. When those guys fight, it's very difficult to truly cap that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Second fight on the main card, we got Vince Pichard going up against Austin Hubbard. This was a fight that was lingering around even money throughout fight week, and it's still lingering around uh, at even money through fight week. Uh, Clint, I'll actually let you kick this one off. For that. Feel about this Are you feeling any stronger about Austin Hubbard? No, no. In fact, I'm feeling I'm feeling worse. I'm feeling worse about Austin Hubbard Lock. I one of the big things I noticed at the weigh-ins today, this was a big move thing for me, was that these guys are not the same size. Vince Pichel is fucking huge. He's got a significant size advantage on Austin Hubbard, and I listened to an interview with Vince Pichel. He is on the title hunt. He actually still thinks that he can be a belt holder in the UFC. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that kind of self-belief is something that pushes people, and he added weight training to his regimen for the first time since he's been a professional fighter. Locke, my dude is stronger than everybody in the cage, and he's never lifted weights before. He's going to be incredibly strong in there on Saturday and he's always got a good gas tank so even if he's added just like a little smidgen of muscle I don't think that's going to affect his cardio he's a position over submission guy and we know that's exactly what Hubbard struggles with I think that there is a big big chance that this is maybe even a mismatch I, I think they they're comparable on the feet I might give a little bit of an edge to Hubbard on the feet, but we know he's a little bit low volume. He doesn't always pick the best shots. Those leg kicks aren't going to do shit to Vince Pichel. And then when they get into the grappling exchanges, Vince is going to be the one taking over. All Vince has got to do is bank two rounds, and he's not a guy that's going to gas out and be helpless in round three and get TKO'd late when Hubbard turns it up. He's the guy that does that same thing to his opponent. I could absolutely see Vince Pichel just being able to stuff Hubbard everywhere. And I've gone from wanting to bet Hubbard to wanting to bet Pichel. When that happens, I pass. Because a lot of times my gut instinct, my first instinct is the right one. And I cost myself money by playing the guy that I've now come around to loving. So I don't know that I'm actually going to end up betting this fight. But if I was going to, it would be Vince Pichel. Yeah, that's why I kind of like doing the, the Monday show and then doing the Friday show to be like, my mind has it's cool. changed based We're both on, do it. <laughs> yeah, that's turned, but, but yeah, I was on Pichel at the beginning of the week. I'm on him even stronger at this point in the week. I do yeah. like everything that I've been hearing and seeing this week from him. 
obvious and easy fight to break down, right? Grappler versus striker, and we got the grappler in Vince Michelle, who even at 38 years old, that seems to be a spot that a lot of people seem to pinpoint too hard on. But you got to give him some slack here, considering he only has 15 professional MMA fights. He's a young compared to other, Yeah, that's what I mean. He doesn't have the many fight, fight miles on him. Uh, a different guy at 38 normally has the what? 30, 40, 50 fights at this point, whereas Vince Michelle has been a little bit more, you know, reserved in terms of how, how much action he's actually taken inside the octagon. But yeah, I do think he'll succeed uh, on takedowns over and over again. I don't think he gets the finish. I think this is a fight that goes all three rounds, and I do think that will see Michelle actually down his fight out be a decision. I do like the fact that you said in your breakdown that you think that the striking is pretty much even here. Yes, I do agree that Michelle has a very serviceable striking game. Hubbard does have the striking advantage here. Uh, great leg kicks, great body kicks, great leg kicks as always, like I said. Um, but I think it's something that Kishaw has definitely seen in his career already. And I think he can even parlay those leg kicks into takedowns and really start grinding on the Hubbard from that side. And that's, that's a great point. I didn't here. even think about that. This is a key point as well. I think that the cardio is a big part here, right? Last time we saw Hubbard fight Mark Matt, or a couple fights ago, we saw Mark Matson fight him. Mark Matson gassed his shit and just survived that third round. Compared to here where Vince Kishaw, I think he's going to have that takedown in round one just as he had in round three. So I like to see some Vince from Al Kishaw here. And I didn't share my ticket yet, but I got him at minus 115 here on Circus Sports uh, for my uh, for my degenerate fight day play. So yes, I like me some Vince Michelle, and I'm glad to hear that my boy Clint also likes Vince Michelle in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got we got four fights left here. We're going up against uh, the first uh, the fight that I, the only fight that I don't have odds on and didn't get to bet at Circus Sports is Trevor Jones against Saeed Jokub Kakramanov. We got minus one. Which is at minus 140 now for Trevor Jones, plus 120 for Saeed. Um, yes, Saeed um, coming in on short notice, misses weight, I believe by two or three pounds. Uh, you know, the UFC hates that. The UFC hates when guys take fights on short notice and still miss weight. Because the thing that they're trying to do is make weight. That is job number one. And you don't make the weight. So I guarantee you, Sean Shelby and Nick Maynard are like, fuck this guy already. So he's going to have to go out there and either put on a performance of the night type fight or a fight of the night type fight to get back into the good graces. I'm sure he'll obviously get another fight in the UFC, don't get me wrong. On tape, he was definitely one of those guys that you couldn't just overlook, right? There's a lot of times where we get these Juan Carlos, Juan Garros guys that just steps in our short runners, and everybody's like, okay, I can obviously bet the other side and know that my guy's going to win. You can't just auto-fade Pop Romanov in the spot. With that said, I still think minus 140 for Trevor Jones is a bit of a gift in this spot. I think he's way more prepared for this fight. I think he's great all around, great knockout power as We've obviously been seeing from the first two UFC fights where he's a plus 200 and worst favorite or, or worst favorite in those fights. Um, I think that Saeed will come out here, probably shit gassing, so probably going to go balls to the wall, gets a little bit too wild in the striking exchanges, and gets caught by Trevor Jones in the spot. I do like the grappling game and judo game of Kakromanov, but I just don't know if he has enough in the gas to actually go out there and give us a full display of what his skills actually look like considering the fight coming on short notice. Last thing I'll say about this, and I'll flip it on over to you, he is the former CFFC bantamweight champion coming over here after winning the title in a vacant fight where he was a minus 500 favorite. So, Say, say what you want about him being the being the champion, but I don't think it holds much merit considering he only won it, never defended it, and won it in a fight where he's a minus 500 favorite. I like Trevin Jones. I like Trevin Jones on knockout. And if they had his line up at the Circle Sportsbook, I would have bet uh, the under two and a half is part of the spot that I would have looked at here because I think both guys have finishing qualities. Uh, under two and a half is uh, right now minus 140. So that's the spot that I like. Trent, how do you see this fight going? Violence, Locke, violence. That's exactly how I see this fight going. So I finally got a chance to do my tape on Saeed, and this kid has nuclear weapons in his right hand. That right hand is 
death on wheels. And he knocked out Askar Askar, who if anybody who watches like regional MMA knows, Askar Askar is one of the hottest outside of the UFC prospects. I expect to see that kid in the UFC in the next year or two. He is legit, and this kid absolutely flatlined him. He also gave Umar Nurmagomedov, another very hot prospect, a hell of a run for his money in his last fight. The one thing we do know is he slows down. He goes for broke in that first round. He swings that right hand as hard as he possibly can. And if he doesn't TKO you in the first round, then he's probably going to slow down and get killed himself later on in the fight. Coming in on short notice, you got to think he's doubling down on that strategy. He knows he doesn't have a good gas tank. He knows he missed weight. He knows he needs to perform. And he's going up against an opponent who's extremely dangerous. He's going to try and get Trevin Jones out of there as quickly as humanly possible. I am scared to lay chalk on Trevin Jones against this kind of a man simply because of what I've seen him do with that right hand. Now, I'm one of the biggest Trevin Jones believers out there. I love this kid's skill set. I love the way his striking has come along. He's so dangerous on the ground. And people haven't even seen his ground game yet. Like, they don't understand how good Trevin Jones is. So I am all in on the Trevin Jones side of things, but I don't want to lay a minus 150 price tag against a nuclear warfare guy like his opponent. I like violence, man. If I can get a fight doesn't go to decision prop, I'm going to hammer the shit out of it, Locke. That is going to be easy money because this guy either kills Trevin Jones in the first round or Jones flips the tables on him and comes back in round two and just demolishes him when he's got nothing left to give. I think this fight is going to be over and probably quickly. So I think the under two and a half, fight doesn't go the distance that's the safest way that you can play this particular one and honestly if you like the underdog take him by knockout because that's the only way he's winning yeah i'm glad that you started off by saying it's going to be violent and i yeah. truly believe it's going to be violent which is why the under two and a half is probably what i'm going to what probably what i would have done if i had access to it i'm going to go back to new york new york later tonight for my actually first book will probably be close by then regardless i'm going to hope to try to put money on the under two and a half just for my fight day violence because um, but yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I can't wait for it. Again, they, they could have done much worse in terms of a replacement here for Trevin Jones. So I'm glad that they at least have got a guy of this caliber. That should this have kid belongs in the UFC. Fight. He really does. Absolutely. I agree with that. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. The people's main event. we got Chase Sherman going up against Parker Porter in terms of odds. We're looking at uh, minus 185, minus 190 for Chase Sherman, plus 170 is third on Parker Porter. And... Uh, Clint, actually, I'm actually going to let you take this one off. Right? Have you, has your change uh, or has your thoughts changed on this fight at all to our fight? Not even a little. This one is the same exact read for me, man. I think that it's going to be either Chase Sherman first round or Parker Porter's going to break him in the second. So I've got the under two and a half. I played that already. And I did play Chase Sherman by knockout at plus 130 because I, I think that Chase Sherman by knockout round one is the most likely end to this fight. And then if that doesn't happen and Porter does survive, he's not letting this thing go to the judges' scorecards. He's already talked about coming out and fighting for a bonus. He wants that extra check. He wants to make some extra cash. And he's going to be pushing the pace. And on top of that, I talked about it with you on Monday that uh, Arlovsky was a guy that couldn't take advantage of Chase Sherman slowing down. He just kind of let him slow down. He was content to win an easy decision. Porter's not going to do that. Porter's going to get in this guy's face and blitz him with six-punch combos. That's exactly what breaks a guy like Chase Sherman. So I think this thing's going under pretty easily. I think it's going to be Chase that does it. My soul definitely still cheers for Parker Porter. I want to see this guy succeed. I really do. So I did both the under two and a half and by knockout for Chase Sherman. If I go one and one because Porter finishes it in the second, hey, I break even and I'm happy. <laughs> Well, I just actually saw the over-under for this fight. Uh, how the hell is over at minus 265? That is 
a crazy line. I do think Porter wins this fight by decision. I do agree with everything you said here. The main thing for me is the durability of Parker Porter. If he can stay alive and just die in the cage there with one of those chase-driven combinations and that early power for him, yeah, I agree. He could start to run away with this fight. The thing about Chase Sherman, even though he's locking down Andre Lofty in his last fight the entire time, he's just throwing anything. He had no volume in that fight. He just had the cage control. But Arlovsky was the one landing all the damage. You know, I mean, he was the one throwing the combinations where Chase Sherman was just looking at him and just marching him down. Parker Porter, I agree with you. I think once the second round comes around, we'll see him start to have his blitz attacks and be more successful with them. Make a, make a statement in the judge's eyes, right? To actually show them that he's trying to take control of the round. Have some clinch position up against the cage, win some minutes off of that. Uh, I think he can win an all-around game here as long as his durability holds up. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are high on Chase Sherman, and Chase Sherman now, considering all the line movement that we have through our fight, is the biggest favorite on the card. It's weird to say, considering that we don't have any minus 200s or above on this card. With that said, I like Parker Porter here. I like him by decision. I'm not sure if they'll actually get to finish later in the fight, like you think they will, but I do like him to win uh, this fight straight Sherman, up. Sherman quits, him. man. We'll see. We'll see if Parker Porter will be the one that gets another. So the, the, the spot that I bet on for this fight is 50 bucks on Parker Porter, plus 165 to win 82 bucks. I'm hoping that it comes through. Yeah, everybody knows I love me some Parker Porter. And if you guys don't hear me in the stands here for Parker Porter this weekend, you guys should slap me next time you guys see me. So I'll try to make some noise here for you guys. <laughs> uh, you got to you gotta pick a pick an early prelim one, man. The stadium's always empty for the early Dude, prelims. You can get Apex. on TV if you're loud in the early show. <laughs> the Apex is only like 50 fans. There's barely going to be anybody there to begin with. So, That's true. yeah, you will hear me. We will hear you. <laughs> exactly. All right. Home event time, second last fight, and I'm glad we're rifling through this uh, in about 40 minutes or so just because I don't have this spot for long, so I want to make sure that I get it done with <laughs> before I get kicked off this spot here. Uh, home event, Craig Guida against Mark Madsen. We got minus 150 on Mark Madsen here. Uh, comeback on Craig Guida is roughly around plus 130. Uh, so he opened up roughly around minus 125, got that down to minus 160, and then the money started coming back in on Craig Guida. Craig Guida seems to be a pretty uh, hefty or uh, a pretty favorite dog, if that's what you want to call it. The, the public's favorite dog, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, it's pretty o- uh, obvious here, right? Grappling advantage, obviously, on paper for Mark Madsen here, but can hardly keep him up to get him through at least 10 minutes of solid work so that he can get two rounds on the judges' scorecards and then win the fight via decision. Or can he submit Clay Guido? I'm not a big believer of his MMA jiu-jitsu as of yet, not to mention MMA jiu-jitsu against legitimate competition, because there's no one who's being brought up on the regional scene over there in Denmark. They're just feeding him guys to get him to the UFC, considering how old he already is. He's 36 years old, Olympian in Greco-Roman wrestling, uh, wrestling, as we obviously already know. Uh, but I think that his gas tank is going to start to fill him probably in the, the sixth or seventh minute of this fight. Like, it truly comes down to that second round, in my opinion. I think Clay Guido will get the better of him there, and in the third round. I'm not so keen on Clay Guido round three. I've definitely been seeing that as a, somebody that is something that people are a lot, uh, are a lot on, thinking that Mark Matson is just going to completely just roll over and die in this fight. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that he'll still have enough to at least survive the third round. And again, Clay Guido is not a notorious finisher, right? If I'm not mistaken, he hasn't had a finish. He has one finish in the last 10 years or something like that. Like, it's, it's crazy. He is not a notorious finisher. So I'm going to go Clay Guido. Clay Guido by decision. I think that he is a good spot on the money line still, which is why I bet him at plus 140, 50 bucks to win 70 bucks there. Um, yeah, I'm taking the upside here for the underdog. I actually, well, I'll talk about it in the main event spot here, but I think there are some live underdogs on this card. And you can obviously see that with the live movement for a lot of these fights, especially this one here with Clay Guida. I like Clay. Carpenter's going to get it done. The veteran's going to get it done. Be a decision. How do you feel about this one, brother? 
Man, this is another one where, like the Vince Michelle Hubbard fight, I've been kind of ping-ponging back and forth on. I was with you on Monday saying there's going to be value on Clay Guida, but we talked about it, man. Uh, Hubbard, or Marco Madsen has gone to fight ready, and he looks in phenomenal shape, let me tell you. Best shape of his life by far. And he talked in an interview about how they've improved his fight IQ. Like, he had positional disadvantages in the cage because he was so used to wrestling. Fight Ready has fixed that. He said he's found the gym of the future and he's staying with Fight Ready for his foreseeable MMA career because of what they've been able to do with him. And that is the camp that took Henry Cejudo, a guy took the very same path of Olympic-level wrestling to high-level mixed martial arts. They can do the same thing with Marco Madsen, man. Even though he's a little bit older, they absolutely could have the same transformation with him. So the more I get into this one, the more I'm liking the Marco Madsen side. On top of that, he's got a big, big issue with uh, his home life. I don't know if you saw the interviews. He talked about how his wife has been diagnosed with MS disease, and this is a fight that he's basically trying to prove that he can keep up with what he loves to do and the sport he wants to compete in while helping his family and continuing to provide and support them the way that he used to. So he's got a heavy heart going into this. There's a lot of personal motivation going into this. And I do read into those kind of, uh, you know, things that you can't really quantify. I think that's going to push him in this fight more than a normal fight probably would. He's really got a chip on his shoulder for this one. And I did go back and I watched some additional tape on our guy, Clay Guida. I love the dude. He's a little battery. He never stops going forward and he never gasses out, but he does leave that damn neck out there, man. And that's something that I think more and more and more that honestly, I might take a shot on Marco Madsen by submission. It's another plus four, uh, 400 plus 500 type of spot that Clay Guida is the type of dude that will wrestle an Olympian. He will absolutely shoot a double leg on an Olympian. We're going to see it more than once on Saturday. And if he does that, he leaves his neck out there. And Marco Madsen's got to squeeze like nobody's business. And on top of that, the way Clay Guida defends those types of chokes is he flops to his back. He did the exact same thing against Bobby Green. If you flop to your back against Marco Madsen, you're on your back for the rest of the round. You're not getting back up. So I, I think there is a good shot that Marco Madsen finishes this fight by submission, probably does it early when he's fresh and dry and uh, strong. And then if he doesn't, he probably banks two rounds against Clay Guida just with the positional control, holds him up against the fence, maybe doesn't get the takedowns because I know Clay Guida can scramble, but I think Marco Madsen can body lock him and just hold him up against the cage for a couple minutes and win the round that way. So again, I don't know that I'm betting this one beyond maybe my Hail Mary submission prop or something like that, but I am leaning towards Marco Madsen being the guy that wins the fight, banking on fight ready. I like it. I'm glad that you brought up the fight ready uh, argument for this. I failed to do so. But yeah, that's absolutely noteworthy in the spot, just as it is for Luis Salgado, the fight later on the card. And the, spot, the, the thing that I like most about Mark Madsen's corner, Martin Catman. I always love watching Martin Catman in people's corners. I'm so glad that he's over there, right? So he's down there with them. I think he's been in Madsen's corners for the majority of his fights. But I, I failed to, like, I saw the picture of them all together Eddie Tra, uh, Luis Saldana, you know, uh, all those guys. I saw Martin Catman there, and that didn't click to me initially, like the Danish. Uh, connection there. I'm like, what the hell is Mark, Martin Chapman doing a fight? Dude. And I'm like, oh. Martin yeah. Chapman is one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet. I played poker with the dude in Reno about five years ago. He's a complete stud and he's an absolute gentleman. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I freaking love Mark Chapman. Nice, nice. I, I, I saw him fight live once. And unfortunately, he came up on the losing end when he fought uh, Carlos Connors the next time uh, in Indianapolis, out of all places. Don't ask me what I was doing in Indianapolis, but I'll do anything for the UFC at this point. All right. Um, main event side. We got Jared Cavanier going up against Kelvin Gaffinum. Uh, minus 140 now on Jared Cavanier. 
opened up as a minus 225 favorite. A ton of love coming in for the favorite, or sorry, the, the, the underdog here in Calvin Gaston, the longtime UFC veteran who's only 29 years old, which is very surprising for a lot of people considering how many fights he's been in and how many memories that a lot of people have with him. Um, I like Gaslam in this spot. I, I'll show it to you guys right off the bat here. I got him at plus one twenty-five here at the Circus Sportsbook, fifty bucks to win sixty-two bucks here. I, I said it on your show earlier this week. I'll say it again, even after running a little bit more tape. Where is Jared Jared Kennedy better than Calvin Gaslam outside of his power and some of his leg kicks that he's able to throw out there? Yes, muscles <laughs> and being able to make weight, even though he used to be a heavyweight compared to Gaslam, who's coming up a weight class, you know, several years ago now, but still feels still struggles to make one hundred eighty-six pounds. Um, but yeah, I think that if he can survive early, if he doesn't get knocked out on the first or second round here, he should be able to start to put together his whole MMA game, uh, drag the fight to the ground uh, if he needs to, you know, mix in some of that wrestling. A lot of people forget how good of a grappler he actually is because he got heel hooked by Jack Manson a couple of fights ago, and people automatically think he's a fraud on the ground. That is pretty damn good considering his, you know, uh, the weight class he's in and the level of competition in terms of grappling there, scrambling, jiu-jitsu, all that type of stuff. Gaston definitely has it. And then he definitely still has power in his hands. That's another thing that he used to make his name off of, just landing that bomb on the chin of his opponents and putting their lights out. Um, I like Kevin Gaston here. I think if he survives very, like I said, he will win the later rounds. Uh, shout out to, I think it was Danny Legs who started on the Club Mutual podcast. Round four, round five decision. If you have access to that prop, that's probably the best way to attack this if you're backing Calvin Gaslam. I still don't even mind just poking round four, round five, which last time I checked, they were closer to the plus 3,000 range. Definitely poke some of those. And then even Gaslam by decision, I think, is a decent spot. But Gaslam's money line, plus 125, still a damn good spot myself. How do you feel about Calvin Gaslam and Jerry Cannon here tomorrow night? Man, I am uh, I am inching closer and closer to the Cannoneer side of things. I understand the speed. I understand the technique of Kelvin Gastelum. I do think that that's going to pose a bit of a problem. Uh, but he, Jared Cannoneer came in the best shape of his life for this fight. And that's saying something, considering the kind of shape we've seen him in in the past. Somehow, he managed to top that today. The dude is ridiculous and crazy prepared. And he's also got a chip on his shoulder. He's pretty pissed off that he lost his last fight because he got you know, his arm broken and still somehow lost the decision after he thought he fought a very, very well put together fight. Man, I'm banking on durability in this fight. I don't think there's going to be an early finish. Kelvin Gastelum's never been knocked out. And Jared Cannonier, you've got to be a heavyweight to get him out of there before you see the judges' scorecards. I don't think Kelvin Gastelum hits hard enough to take Kel- uh, to take uh, Jared Cannonier out of there early. And I also think that the way he fights now is more risk-adverse. He doesn't want to get into a big war anymore. So I think that it's going to be much more measured. It's going to be chess. It's also going to be maybe some grappling mixed in. And if he does that, this thing is going to see the championship rounds. So I bought down to the two and a half, man. Man, I'm laying minus 185 on over two and a half. I'm also playing the over three and a half. And I think that's minus 140 is where I got it. So that way I'm not going to touch that four and a half, that last round of the fight. Anything can happen. You never know if Jared Cannonier's gas tank's going to hold up. You never know. Maybe the referee waves it off because Kelvin Gaslam's eye swells shut from a big shot or some shit. So I'm going to take the over two and a half, the over three and a half, and just leave it at that. I'm not picking a side in this fight. I kind of lean. Jared Cannonier being the one to get it done. His time is now. If he's ever going to get that title shot, if he's ever going to make a run, it's right now because even though he doesn't have a bunch of fight miles on him, he is older. So that that eventual cliff is coming. And on top of that, Kelvin Gastelum, I mean, 
man, him just missing weight again is a bad sign. I also think he's trying to cheat it a little bit, if I'm being honest, because he didn't look like he tried to make weight. He didn't look like he had put forth any effort. He wasn't red. He wasn't sweaty. He didn't look like he had just gotten out of the sauna. He, he looked like he had so much energy, right? Like oh, it looked yeah. like he was just like, dude, of course he I made weight. What are you talking about? He had about? a ton of energy. He came in full well damn knowing he was going to need the box of shame on that first weigh-in. He's trying to save as much energy as humanly possible. And I think that speaks to the fact that he's ready to go five rounds. I think Kelvin Gaslam's plan is to drag this thing into deep waters, stay safe, make the big guy move until he can get an advantage on him later on where Jared Cannonier's never been. Again, that's just all brain cannon up here i don't know if that's actually his plan but that's what it seems like it is and with him having that extra weight on his frame i know he's not a guy that cuts a lot of weight at 185 but still every pound matters every little bit of effort cutting weight matters he's gonna have a great gas tank and that's gonna help his durability that's gonna keep him in the fight longer so i just think this thing's going over i do think it hits the judges scorecards i don't think either of these guys I don't want to say capable because obviously Jared Cannonier can knock out an elephant if he wants to, but I, I think this fight is going over. I do think it's going to get to the judges' scorecards, and it might be hairy. This could be one of those you know very, very close split decision type of things where everyone cries robbery because it's clearly the one guy that was walking forward or Kelvin clearly had more volume every single round. Like This one's going to get hairy. I'm just going to side with the over, man. The opposite of violence. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. And I got to say, even though Kevin Gatz has never been knocked out in his career, this is definitely a guy that we need to worry about that could potentially crack that chin. So that's something to worry about. Yeah, if his durability holds up, though, I definitely like those overs. And I was definitely giving you a shout-out to us this week in terms of the over three and a half because I thought that was a great spot that you were managing to spot around that minus 130, minus 140 range. All right, that's pretty much a wrap. We're going to finish this off with one last segment for you guys. Lachlan and I played for both me and Die Hard in terms of uh, what we feel is the strongest about on this card. Clint, I apologize. I didn't remind you about that before the stream. So I see you over there at that fight. I was looking at the odds. Put me on the spot. I'll, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll, I'll start with mine so that you can quickly put yours up. I'm going to go with Brian Kelleher. I already put five or four units on him at uh, minus 180 on intertops.eu, which is my main book that I like to use online as well as full bet. Full bet is where I actually place my dog when I play. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then obviously I bet him here again at Circa. Uh, at minus 160, I was happy to get that line here over here. It's like a, uh, again, it was only for 50 bucks. Again, it's just degenerate fun money, so I have tickets that I can hold in my hand while I'm at the fight tomorrow night. Clint, what do you, uh, what do you like in the most tomorrow night? So it's not widely available yet, but it should be coming soon to a book near you. But actually, my favorite spot on the entire card is going to be Trevin Jones. And Saeed doesn't go to decision. It's going to be a minus 175, minus 200. I think that's the lockiest lock on this card, man. I think there's going to be massive violence. And if you want to take a shot at the under one and a half at plus money, I don't mind that either. I love that you use lockiest lock. That might not have to be the... The, 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 the phrase that we use whenever we share a sense lock of the night play. Um, all right, yeah, that's, that's pretty much a wrap on line. Anything you want to say on the back end here, then I'll sign this off? No, that's it, man. I just better hear a shout out live on, uh, live on Saturday. <laughs> I'll try to be as loud as I can so that you guys can hear me. But uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to go to the fights tomorrow. I, again, I'm, going, I'm coming out again in September for UFC 266. And it's, uh, you know, I'm way more excited for this one considering the Apex experience that we're going to be able to get this time around. So super excited for this weekend. Hopefully, Slough and I play some through. Hopefully, the majority of the bets which I just made come through as well so I can come back and uh, get some cash. Uh, but yeah, very excited for the fight tomorrow. Appreciate you, Quinn, coming in on short notice here. We're supposed to have a couple of the guests lined up to help me out. But everything fell through. Quinn was the man that answered the call and gladly we were able to get this point. So everybody, good luck on your best tomorrow night. Quinn, appreciate you coming on. And on behalf of myself and Quinn, Good luck on the bet tomorrow. Good luck on the fights. And we'll see you guys again next week.
for UFC Vegas 35. Luka Chikadze versus Escobar Boza. Cannot wait for that one. See you guys then. It's another good fight.